Well, the United States Navy has a fighter weapons school in Miramar, California. You might be more familiar with its other name, Top Gun. And at Top Gun, they teach young officers, actually they teach people throughout the military, how to survive a plane crash and also how to survive a helicopter crash. So here's what they do. They put these pilots or they put these these people who are in the military into a helicopter simulator and then they take that simulator, they put it over a pool, they drop they drop this this sim, this uh, you know helicopter simulator, they drop it into the pool. They then flip it upside down and your goal is to escape and get out of the uh, helicopter. Now, here's what you need to know, is that when a helicopter crashes, it's different than an airplane. You might have a nice, you know, successful landing on water on an airplane, right? That happens all the time. But in a helicopter, it always flips upside down. Every time, based on the axis of the blades and the weight distribution, a helicopter will always flip upside down. So, if you are in a helicopter crash, you will be upside down. How do you survive? Well, here's what they teach up at at Top Gun. The first thing they teach you when you're upside down and you're sinking is that you must maintain your reference point. You must maintain your point of reference because without a reference point, without a point of reference, when the chaos comes, you will be looking all over the place. You will lose your bearings. You will not realize you're even upside down. You will not be able to get out and you will die if you do not maintain your reference point. If you maintain your reference point, you can stay on course, so to speak, so that you can escape, so that you can get out, so that you can live, so that you can survive. So what does that mean to maintain your reference point when you're upside down, sinking in the water? What does that mean? Well, they teach you, first thing you need to know is you need to know which direction the bubbles are going. Because bubbles always go up. So you need to follow the bubbles. That's one of your reference points. You also need to make sure that you know where your armrest is because that's going to be an important reference point when you go to unstrap, you know, being harnessed in. You also need to know where the escape routes are, where the hatches are, where the windows are. Because when you get to the third time, you will do it three times. When you get to the third time, and now that your head's filled with water because you weren't aware on the first one that was going to happen, when you get to the third time, you're blindfolded. Bubbles no longer matter. And so now, you still need to have your reference point. You need to know where the armrests are when you unstrap. You need to know where that window is because you're now upside down. And when you reach for the window, you're going to feel like you're reaching which direction? Which direction do you feel like you're reaching? You feel like you're reaching down. But that's your point of reference. And if you can hold on to that and keep your reference point, then you, of course, can survive. Here's my question for you today, and really for this entire series that we're going to be asking. What is the reference point for your life? What is the reference point for your life? I'm going to suggest to you that you have two options in your life. One option is that Christ, Jesus, is your reference point. I love how Paul describes this. He says in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll say a couple of words together. In verse 3, he said, for if you're a Jesus follower, he said, you died to this life. 
and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And I love this phrase. And when Christ, who is your what? Who is your life. Christ, who is your life, your reference point is revealed to the whole world. You will share in all his glory. So he said, you died to this current life, your real life, the real life you have is hidden in God. Christ, he is your life. He's your reference point. And if you maintain your reference point, Christ who is your life, then you can be successful in life. You can stay on course in your life. Or you can have another reference point. And we're saying you can have Christ as your reference point in this series, or we're going to say you can have culture, the modern world, the, 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 the world around you. You can have culture as your reference point. Christ who is your life or culture? Who is your life? And we're wanting you to ask the question, what is my reference point? Christ or culture? Christ or culture? Christ-centered or Christ or culture-centered? Christ-focused as our reference point or culture-centered as our reference point? And I imagine uh, a lot of us here, maybe most of us say, yeah, you know what, Chris, Christ Jesus, he is my life. He is my reference point. But the reality is, even though we say that, it's actually a little bit of a mixed bag for most of us. It's actually, to a degree, it's both Christ and culture being our reference point. And so I want to real quickly run through a couple reasons why. You could come up with a longer list, but what are some of the reasons why it is that you and I bounce back and forth between Christ and culture as our reference point. Practically speaking in our life, why don't we go back and forth between the two? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First of all, sometimes we allow culture to be our reference point because faith is really just a slice of our life. It's just a slice of the pie of our life. Because in our life, we know we have family, we have friends, we have work, we have entertainment, we have our social life, we have Christ. And so Jesus is like a slice. He's like a piece of our life. He's an important piece, maybe even the biggest piece, but he's a piece or a slice nonetheless. When Paul said, Christ who is your what? Who is your life? When he said, Christ who is your life, he was saying, Jesus is not just a slice of your life, but he is fully infused into all the parts of your life. But we can bounce back and forth between Christ and culture as our reference point if Jesus is just a slice of our life. Second reason we bounce back and forth between Christ and culture in our life is because we misunderstand how to use and apply the Bible correctly. We're going to talk about that a little more later in the message, so I'm going to keep moving on. But we, we misunderstand how to apply and use the Bible correctly. And so we bounce back and forth with culture and Christ. Third, we cherry-pick from the Bible and from culture, whatever it is that will help us fulfill our dreams and desires that we want from our life. You know what I'm talking about. You might be this way. I find myself sometimes thinking this way, is that there's certain verses in the Bible I absolutely love. Man, I love the verses that talk about God blessing me, God taking care of me, God protecting me, God watching over me, that, that, that when I'm going through hard and difficult times that I can do how many things through Christ who strengthens me? I can do what? I can do all things. Like we love these verses that God has a plan for me, not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future and to prosper. I love all those verses. There's certain verses I don't like so much. 
It is God's will that you abstain from, and then you get this list, and you're like, wait a second, I like that one. That's God's will that I'm not involved in that? Whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm going to focus on these verses I like, and I'm going to disregard these ones. I'm going to cherry pick from the ones I like and from the ones that I don't like, that I don't agree with, that don't fit into the life that I desire for myself. And so we cherry pick some and we ignore the others. Fourth, and similar to this previous point, we bounce back and forth between Christ and culture for our reference point based on our current circumstances and our current state of mind. What am I talking about? Well, depending on what you're going through at the moment, wherever you may be at right now, whether emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, all of that Your present circumstances and present state of mind has a huge impact on whether or not you choose Christ or culture as your reference point. In other words, we might have strong convictions about God's word on a topic, an issue, a subject, whatever the case may be. Strong convictions. We'll preach about it, we'll talk about it, we'll tell others about it. Strong conviction until it's personal. What do I mean by that? For example, uh, if you have teenagers or had teenagers, I imagine that you went through a season where you were trying to help them understand that it's important as a Jesus follower that you remain sexually pure. And, and you would teach your kids, or, 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 and you would teach them that, and you would say, be sexually pure, this is God's will for your life. You wait to have sex till you get married. You go through all those conversations. And, and, and your child, they might have that conviction, and that's their reference point. Jesus is their reference point, and they're going to be sexually pure, and they're going to maintain their purity, and they're going to be rocking with Jesus. And then they get into a relationship. And then what happens so often? All of a sudden, in the circumstance, in the situation, whether for teenagers and the reality is for adults as well. All of a sudden, that conviction isn't so strong. All of a sudden, we find ourselves bouncing over to culture, which says, "Eh, you know, you're going to get married or this or that or whatever excuse that we make. So we bounce back and forth based on our current circumstances and state of mind with what we're going through. Fifth reason we bounce around between Christ and culture is because, uh, and we bounce away from Christ really, is we want to avoid pain and suffering and conflict. We want to avoid pain, suffering, and conflict. Remember in our last series, Exiles, we basically said when Christ is your reference point, we didn't use that term, but when Christ is your reference point, he's, you're in exile. At times, as a Jesus follower, because you're a Jesus follower, you will suffer. We talked about that last series. And sometimes we say, you know what, I don't like pain and suffering and conflict. And so there will be times to avoid that. We will choose culture's way so to avoid the pain, suffering, and conflict. And this avoiding pain, suffering, and conflict is so ingrained into us that it even happens on an unconscious level. I mean, I want you to think about it for a moment. If you place your hand over the stove and turn on the heat, What happens to your hand? What happens to it? Disappears. Right? Where'd my hand go? Did you think about pulling your hand away from the stove? You didn't think about it at all. On an unconscious level, your hand, as soon as the pain, the conflict came, your hand just went away. It disappeared. It wanted to have nothing to do with that pain on an unconscious level. So... You and I might pull away from Christ as our reference point and choose culture, and we may sometimes not even realize it because we just want to avoid the pain. 
that comes with being a Jesus follower at times. One more reason that culture can be our reference point at times on certain topics, issues, or, or, or whatever's going on in our life, because Christian sacrifice is hard, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? That trusting in God is difficult. It's not always easy to trust God, you know, especially when we can't see. I mean, Jesus told Thomas uh, after he died and been resurrected, and Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was alive, and, and, and some of you are familiar with the story. He tells Thomas in front of the other disciples, he says, hey, Thomas, now that you've seen, you believe in me because you've seen me. And Jesus then talked about us, and he said, but blessed are those who believe, who trust, even though we don't see Jesus. See, Jesus understood for us that faith can be a challenge at times. It's hard to trust when we can't see what's ahead. Give you one topic, one example that's a very difficult, uh, it's very difficult for many Christians to trust God in, and that's the topic of our finances. And, and, and a preacher might get up and might do a series on, on stewardship and giving and giving God your first fruits and picking a percentage or picking a tie 10% or more or less, but you pick a percentage, you give the first fruit, you give to God, and the preacher might talk about all that. And you say, man, I, I, I want to trust. I want to believe that God's going to provide for me, but I can't see it today. In fact, when I run my budget, the numbers don't add up. And so, so we find ourselves bouncing away from Christ as our reference point and choosing culture's way. Oh, we'll give a little when we can. Or, or now, even now, super relevant now, we have our tax people telling us, hey, you shouldn't give so much to the church. You don't get the write-off like you used to do because it's a standard deduction. And why are you giving so much? And that's not good with your, your money. And you're like, my tax person told me I shouldn't give as much. Sacrifice is hard, especially when we don't see. Now, here's why this Christ or culture discussion, it really matters to us. And here's the reason why. If you're, if, if you're off by just one degree, you will completely miss your mark. If you're off by one degree, you will completely miss your mark. Jesus said this. He said, I have come, that, in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that you may have life, that you may have abundant life, that you may have real and better life than you could ever imagine, one translation says, apart from being in relationship with Jesus. And when we're off by just a little bit, when Christ is in our reference point in just a little bit, in a little area of our life, we completely miss the mark when it comes to experiencing this eternal life, life to the fullest, abundant life in Jesus. I like what Paul said this in talking about this idea of this mark, of this goal. He says, Philippians chapter 3, he said, here's one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. That was Before I was in Jesus, that was culture guiding me and directing me. I strain forward to what lies ahead. Man, I, I'm in Christ now, so I'm going after Christ. And so I press on towards the, what does it say? Press on toward the what? Toward the, toward the goal for the, for the prize. I press on for the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ who is your life. And then he says this. I, actually, this is one of my favorite like side note verses of the Bible. He says, let those of you who are mature think this way. And if, anything you th and if any of you think otherwise, God's going to reveal it to you also. 
man, I want to start using that in counseling. When I tell someone something, I just want to be able to say, hey, here's how it is. And if you think otherwise, if you're not mature and think otherwise, well, I've got to reveal it to you because in other words, Paul's saying, I'm right and you're wrong. It's kind of what he's saying here. So he's saying, listen, if you're mature, you understand what he's talking about, that there's a goal, that there's a prize, and he pressed on for that, that eternal life in Jesus, pursuing abundant life in Jesus, life to the fullest in Jesus, and the key is maintaining Jesus as the reference point in order to experience that abundant life in Jesus. The goal, the prize, eternal life in Jesus that you get to experience even here and now on this side of heaven. Speaking of goal or prize, I'm curious. Uh, you can slip up your hand on this if we have any history buffs. Anybody, does the date May 25th, 1961 ring a bell for anybody? Anybody? No? May 25th, 1961. Some of you are like, yeah, like 20 years before I was born. Um, uh, anybody? May 20, let me throw this out to you. May 25th, 1961. President Kennedy. Does that ring a bell? Yeah? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Slip of your hand if that rings a bell. Okay, we, got, okay, we finally got a few of you. Now, now you know what I'm talking about. President declare, Kennedy declared on that day that the United States would land on the moon before the decade of the 1960s ended. So NASA had to get to work to meet that goal. The prize was the moon. NASA, we know, accomplished that goal. Now, you may not know this. Recently, there's this renewed fascination of going back to the moon in the next couple of years. I don't know if you know that. And I got to tell you, I can't wait. I'm really excited about this, especially since apparently we haven't actually been to the moon. Apparently, it was a hoax and it was filmed in a studio. But seriously, I, I'm fascinated, and I can't wait. With all the modern technology, I mean, think about it, with HD, 4K, 8K, the live streaming, the video, it's going to be phenomenal. I'm so excited about it. But I've, I've been watching this series called, it'll come to me anyway, it's about the moon, and, uh, and moonshot, that's what it's called, moonshot, not moonshine, moonshot. And so, um, and I'm fascinated by how NASA got us to the moon in the 60s with so little technology. I mean, it's actually mind-blowing to me. For example, the, uh, what was essential to their lunar missions was the Apollo Guidance Computer, or simply referred to as AGC. Here's what they would do with their computer. They would type on the computer nouns and verbs to navigate through the skies, to course correct. They would type in nouns and verbs to control the spaceship. Uh, that's just crazy to me. The other thing, let me tell you about the processing power of this AGC computer. The AGC only had, for those of you who understand computer lingo, it only had 64 kilobytes of memory, and it had a clock operating speed of 0.043 megahertz. Now, let me give you the comparison so you understand. Some of you are like, I don't, does that, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Well, by comparison, the now ancient iPhone 6. Okay, say it loud. Say it proud. If you have an iPhone 6 or later, raise it up. Show us. Raise your hands. All right, a bunch of you. Good for you guys. Way to follow Dave Ramsey and not buy the latest and greatest. Good for, no, I mean that. You're not getting sucked in. Your ancient iPhone 6 or 5, which isn't even on the Apple website anymore. The lowest they go to is 7. 
By comparison to the AGC computer, the iPhone 6's clock was 32,600 times faster than the AGC. And it could perform instructions 120 million times faster than the computer that got us to the moon. So all you need is an iPhone 6 and you're going to the moon, baby. <laughs> Maybe a little rocket fuel also. It's crazy. The computer alone in the 60s could not get them to the moon. So how did they get there? I mean, how do they navigate there? How did they get there? They used a tool called a sextant. A sextant. This tool right here is the tool is similar to the tool they use. This tool has been used for hundreds of years by sailors to navigate the waterways around the planet. This tool right here, which you would calculate, you would have a couple reference points. It was a nautical, you know, uh, um, protractor, so to speak. You would have your reference points. They had to create kind of a, a space version one that's a little more fancy. So here's their version. I, I, I've actually, watching Moonshine, I mean Moonstruck, I have, um, I, 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 I kind of understand a lot about that now. I won't bore you with the details. Not only did they use that, but that's still a little bit computerized and they had to do some things with it. So they still use, going to the moon in the 1960s, they still use the same thing that was used in the 1700s. It's mind-boggling to me. Now here's the interesting part about computers and the sextant. If the astronauts were off, let me bring it back to what I said earlier. If they were off by just one degree in their calculation going to the moon, then they would miss the moon by 4,169 miles. One degree over time and distance would cause you to miss your mark. You're, you would miss the goal. You would miss the prize of the moon by 4,169 miles. For a little perspective, if, you're, if they had said, you know what, the moon's too close, we're going to go to the, moon, the sun, one degree off, they would have been 1,600,000 miles off. Time and distance, if you're off just a little bit with your reference point, you will be off by 4,169 miles. It's amazing to think about. So they use this sextant, making constant course corrections, having the proper reference point in order to get to the moon. Now here's my point for us. Our reference point matters for our life for our faith, for the way we live, for our eternity, for living specifically as a Jesus follower who will, according to our last series we saw, who will at times be at odds with culture. As, as, as exiles of the series last week said, as foreigners in this world, we will be at odds with culture at times. And so if we're just off just a little bit over time and distance, we will get further and further from our goal of following Jesus and living the Jesus way. We have to keep our reference point as culture is pulling us in all directions. And like the helicopter crash, if you don't maintain your reference point, when culture's coming at you, you're going to get to the point where you don't really know which way's up. It leads to confusion. Confusion injury, harm, even death. 
Paul said, I strain towards Jesus. I'm pressing towards the goal of the prize of eternal life in Jesus that even begins here on earth, abundant living. And the key to that is to maintain Jesus as our reference point. Or more specifically, what we're calling the Jesus way. Our reference point is the Jesus way. So what we're all going to do is we're going to pull out our 1990s WWJD bracelets. Right? For any of those, yeah, remember the old, what would Jesus do? But really, it's WWJHUD. What would Jesus have us do? What would he have us do? The Jesus way is our reference point. It's his teachings, his lifestyle, his approach to people, how he interacted with people, what he said to them. It was his way with people. And applying the Jesus way, it's not always easy. In fact, applying the Jesus way in reality is pretty messy. It's not simple and clean and cookie cutter like I think we would want it to be. It's messy to apply the Jesus way into our lives. And here's why. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us why. It tells us that Jesus was, and maybe some of you know the verse, was full of two things. He was full of and, one more time, and he was full of both of those. I wish it was just one or the other. Because life would be a whole lot easier if I could just stand up here every week and speak a whole bunch of truth to you. And just say, here's the way it is, get in line, or hey, well, here's what the Bible says, right? Or it will be a lot easier to say, hey, I want to tell you all about the grace of God and how much he loves you and cares for you. And it, I would love one or the other, but God said, no, 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 no. It's grace and truth. So applying the Jesus way, because we apply grace and truth to a whole bunch of messy people, applying it is difficult, and it's challenging, and it's complicated. But we understand that. We understand applying grace and truth. It's, it's complicated. If you, if you have kids, maybe you've discovered, if, you, if you're maybe raising kids now, or you raise kids at one point in time, would you agree with me that raising kids is messy? Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's messy. And, and you think you've laid down the law and laid down the rules and it's pretty straightforward. Here's all the truth. And then your sweet little angel doesn't follow the, the truth. Now what do you do? Now how do I keep speaking truth while also bringing in grace into the equation? How do I do that? It's messy. In marriage, it'd be nice to speak truth all the time, but... Marriage requires both grace and truth. Friendships, your work environment. See, grace and truth, applying them both, the Jesus way, both, full of grace, full of truth. It is messy, it's not black and white, it's complicated, and it's hard to do well. So loving like Jesus loved is going to be messy. Because we live in a world full of messy people trying to apply what appear to be two opposing principles. So, how do we navigate the mess? How do we navigate the mess by living out the Jesus way? Like the Apollo moon missions, using the sextant, their, their tool, to constantly course correct in order to reach the moon to achieve their goal, so you and I must also constantly course correct in our daily life using the proper tool of reach it so we can reach the Jesus way. In other words, like Jim Lovell, 
like Michael Collins and Richard Gordon needing to know how to properly use their sextant, so you and I, we must know how to use and apply our tool, the Bible. We must know how to use it properly to help us make these constant course corrections and pursuing the Jesus way because we say Jesus is our reference point, not culture. So how do we use it properly? I'm just going to real quickly give you a couple 50,000 foot level ideas here. We're going to bring these out a little more as the weeks progress and as we dive into this series. But the first, if you and I are going to use our tool properly, making constant course corrections in our life in pursuit of the Jesus way, first is this, to apply the Bible correctly, you and I, we have to turn to the Sermon on the Mount often. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. People call that kind of like the Jesus manifesto. It's like this manifesto of the Jesus way of how Christians should live and act. For 2,000 years, it's formed the basis for Christian faith and ethics. And so we want to turn to the Sermon on the Mount often in our life to make course corrections as we're getting tugged and pulled by culture rather than living for Christ. Second, to apply the Bible correctly, we have to know and understand the difference between living in the old self or living in the new self. What am I talking about? The old self and the new self. Well, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, anybody who belongs to Christ has become a what? what what's the two words? Has become a, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The day we were saved, we became a brand new person positionally in Christ, meaning God set us free from every sin by the blood of Jesus. Our old life is gone. Yet on this side of heaven, you figured it out, right? You still sin. It's why practically we must pursue this new life in Christ. This is the idea of us growing in the Lord, growing in spiritual maturity. It's living out the new life in Christ by leaving the old life that we've actually been saved from. In other words, we have a new life, a new self. So there's this constant course correction you and I need to make for the purpose of pursuing the Jesus way constantly course correcting and and knowing and understanding oh this action this behavior this topic this issue that's all kind of living in the old way here's the new way the new life that god's called me to and i have to figure out as ephesians 4 says to put off the old self and i have to put on the new self and so that's that challenge that you and I have to know and we have to understand that there's this battle. It's a constant battle that you and I are dealing with every day between Christ as a reference point and culture. And, and we have to know and understand that, that there's an old self in us, there's a new self, and those are, there's a battle going on, and we got to know and understand the difference between the two and how to live in the new self and know when we're living in the old self. But there's a third way to apply God's Word, the Bible, correctly this tool that God's given us to make constant course correction. And that means we have to avoid mixing the old covenant and the new covenant. Here's the reality, gang. Far too many Christians, American Christians, I should say, 
mix in so much of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant thinking and way of living. They mix in so much that they've gotten so far off course that over time and distance, they're now 4,169 miles off of their mark, off of their goal, off of the prize of abundant life in Jesus. So one of the things that we are going to do in this series is we're going to dive into some important topics that, that, that we are faced with today. Topics like race and gender identity and politics and so much more. And we have struggled to apply the Bible correctly into these topics because we have been mixing in Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And so as we go through this series together, I, I don't have time, we'll break it down more in the upcoming weeks to help us understand the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant thinking. And so what we're going to do together over the next few weeks, we're going to dip our toe into the messy application of some current topics, which in reality, they were all the topics that we're dealing with today. You may know this, you may not know this. They were the same topics they were dealing with back then. And Paul and other apostles were writing about back then. So we're going to dip into this and figure out the messy application. And we're going to do so with Christ as our reference point and not culture. We're going to look at these topics through the lens of the Jesus way. Using the Bible properly to constantly course correct whenever we find ourselves allowing culture to creep into our thinking and decision making rather than allowing Christ to be our reference point. So I want you to ask throughout the series constantly, what's your reference point? Christ, as Paul said, who is your life or culture? Christ or culture? And as we dip into this, applying Christ full of grace and truth, it's messy. We're going to ask God to help us navigate it and constantly course correct so that we can hit our goal, our prize of life to the fullest, abundant life in Jesus Christ.